0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business in Dawa podcast.
1: We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies.
0: And my name is Susan Tendi.
1: And I am Nika Amhani.
0: And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello everybody and welcome to the first annual African Family Business Conference. We are so honoured to have you join us today. My name is Tsitsi Mutendi and I am one of the co-founders of African Family Firms. And today we would like to start this session off, just tell you a little bit about AFF and our theme for today before we go into the discussion of the first session today, which will be looking at the history of Africa and family businesses on the continent. So a little bit about African family firms. We are arguably the biggest African family business association on the continent. We are a not-for-profit organization. And we believe in bringing together African family businesses in a safe environment where we can start discussing and paving a way forward for the future of family businesses on the continent, as well as the economy of the African continent. As you may all know, Africa is very rich with resources, resources, whether it be mineral resources, human resources, as well as structural resources as we are growing them. And as we look at Africa as the future, we all know that family businesses are the businesses that are leading economies across the world. And in Africa, obviously, the family businesses are the foundation of our economies, and they are going to be the ones that are going to check in the future of the success of the continent. And as an organization, we focus on Empowering family businesses through research and creating data for family businesses so that we can have data-driven decisions across the government, uh, across the continent. We also look at advocacy, championing the causes that are really important for African family businesses, the policies that affect them negatively and positively, and making sure that these policies continue to make it viable for family businesses to operate on the continent. We look at education. And making sure that family businesses on the continent know what they are as family businesses, some of the issues that impact them, and also creating resources that are relevant to the continent. As much as we appreciate the resources that are created globally for family businesses, it's also very integral for us as a continent to start creating resources that are very focused on our cultures, focused on our environments and the different countries and the regions that we represent. And finally, the most important of our pillars as AFF is creating the community for family businesses on the continent and networking, allowing family businesses to meet and to be able to communicate with each other and to obviously be able to create those synergies that allow us to know that we're not alone in this uh, space where we are growing as family businesses and we can go from being mom and pop stores to being huge conglomerates and family offices and impact the continent in a very positive way. And I'm going to hand it over to my co-founder, Niki, to speak about our theme for this year, which is Okama.
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome once again to UKAMA African Family Business 2021 conference. As Sissy earlier explained, one of our key activities is education. And this conference is our flagship conference to really share family business insider stories, also come together on a roundtable, and think through um, how best we can position our family businesses for future. So this theme is Ukama, which in Shona means relatedness, both relatedness between ourselves, the so relationships between various stakeholders and family businesses. We can all appreciate that's really important. In family businesses, we have a, a lot of different stakeholder groups, the family, those in the business, communities, um, and what have you, as well as relationship between our history to our present and into our future we are of a strong opinion that it's important for us to look to our history, to understand our shared stories, um, our, shared, um, our shared experiences, as that accumulates and impacts on our present and also to look to, from our present to future. So as such, day one is themed the past, so, looking at history, as Cissy mentioned, we'll shortly be having a session on history of trade on the continent, and how and why it's relevant to where we are today as family business owners. What we have to learn from our past experiences. Um, they also today we'll be having panel discussion on from the Islamic perspective. we looking at the role religion plays in you know different values, different modes of managing wealth and philanthropy we'll also be having a sit-down conversation with a founder really unpacking his journey um as well as later on today having another um, panel discussion so day one is themed founders day two is speaking to successes so understanding the journeys they've gone through in trying to take over from the preceding generation understanding you know how i'm taking on trying to take on the values of the founding generation whilst trying to build a legacy, um, speaking to the role of family office, the role of philanthropy, the role of venture building and engaging the next generation. i really speaking to the role of siblings, partnerships in navigating, taking over a family business or family office. Then day three and four is looking to the future we can all see that technology is critical, innovation is critical, as well as the ability to be relevant in solving social problems. And so we are really creating a roundtable with various different stakeholders, um, different ecosystem players to ruminate on the role African family businesses can play. Firstly, in terms of world trade. Secondly, in terms of you know, philanthropy in terms of ESG and what have you. So we encourage you all to fully participate. All the sessions are um, complimentary. Um, They're all recorded. Should you not be able to catch them live, we encourage you to watch the recordings afterwards.
0: Sorry, everyone. As we're going through our sessions, please feel free to um, put your questions in in the comment section, which should be to your right of the screen and you can put in your questions there for any of the panelists any of the speakers and we will answer them as we go and so to kick off our session today we will be talking about the history of africa and looking at just the importance of discussing history and the relevance of history to what african family business is and so i think most people when they think of history they're thinking of um a subject that they found so hard in high school i was a very big fan of history so i enjoyed learning everything um that i could especially about african history and one of the most important conversations that have come up of late as we have discussing AFF with different people and among ourselves at AFF is why history is so important to family businesses and understanding family businesses on the continent and also understanding the trajectory that's going to be family businesses as we go on the continent. So the first thing that we need to also put into context is the fact that we can never make plans for today or tomorrow without knowing what preceded, what happened before and how it was dealt with before and how it impacts as we go forward. And so when we look at history, I think most people, when they think of Africa, we're thinking of the colonial history, we're thinking about slavery. And those are huge milestones in the history of Africa. They impacted us in a lot of ways. They impacted um, the, the black Africans or the indigenous Africans as we call them in, in many ways and i think there's a lot of conversations around that that have happened that are still to yet happen and we appreciate the fact that it's it's going to be a space where as a generation we're going to be we are going to have to transcend that space accept that history and then look at ways in which it impacts us so that we can leverage it to create a better future especially for the upcoming generations on the continent more so as we start looking right now at history and its relevance. We're going to look right back way past slavery and way past colonialism to a time where Africa began as we know it. It's the cradle of mankind and it has been proven as the cradle of mankind. But as Africa started, we all know that there was a lot of kingdoms and I think in no matter where you are on the on the continent, you've learned the history of your region, you've learned about the kingdoms, the various kings, the the various trade and, um, what all those things brought with them. And I think it's very important to highlight the fact that we have had some really big empires on the, on the continent. One of them being the Egyptian history, which has contributed largely to a lot of modern day history. We also have, um, history from countries like Ethiopia who are never colonized and who continue to maintain up to today um, a, a lot part of their history and their independence based on that discussion and you'll find that is one of the countries on the continent that is way ahead in a lot of development although it faces its own struggles we won't overlook the struggles most countries face obviously but we will look at the strengths as well that we, we carry with us today from that history then we're looking at the different empires that crossed across the continent from north south east and west we all know about the different empires the empires of Mansa Musa the Roji kingdom down in the south the Zulu kingdom uh, the Asante's we have just so many different kingdoms that were all based on different types of trade and that history is impactful for us in a way that when we acknowledge what was happening then We can start looking at what is happening now, the continuations of some of these conversations that never really stopped, but were embedded in the fiber of our daily lives and our traditions and the way we see things and the way we respond. And as well as we then start looking at the weaknesses we had that allowed us to not now look at ourselves in a different way and then how the impact of then the journeys of slavery came in and the journeys of colonialism came in and then as Nike said today we're going to have a founder who's going to be able to share this their story and these stories are all very important because they are key bricks in creating a story of where we're coming from, where we're going to, and how we can start looking at generational wealth building and generational transitioning because this is one of the biggest issues we face on the continent. And we'd like to see how or why we face this because as we see their kingdoms that transcended and had many kings and had many transitional generations. So generational transition has been happening on the continent, only that post-colonialism, It hasn't been happening so much in our family businesses. So this conversation is a very critical one. So I'll let Nikkei take over and speak more about overview of the trade on the continent and some of the empires involved in trade.
1: Yes, I just wanted to add just another point about why it's really important for us to delve into our past is um, narratives. There's been a lot of false narratives that have been passed from generation to generation about Africa. And I think it's really important for us to dive deep and go back to and retrace our roots to see what the truth of our stories were so we can correct narratives. The important thing to consider is who was giving the narrative for what purpose and what was left out of the frame, what was left in the picture, what was left outside of the picture. And I think it's really important that we are fully aware of um, from a cultural, economic, political perspective the trajectory of our dear continent on to the overview of trade on the continent as sissy mentioned africa is the cradle of humanity is the longest and it has the oldest and longest economic history because um, as human societies came to exist so did economic activity so um, there was all manner of trade all over the continent from agriculture to creation of um, luxury items like metals and shells and there was a lot of trading between the various different kingdoms. Um, So trade has been an integral part of Africa dating way back to pre-colonial times and even to the period of medieval Europe and this trade was done both on land by water And it really made the continent quite accessible to resources from both a human and material perspective. I think it's important for us to to really stew on that, that there was a lot of trade across different empires. By and large, most tribes, you know, they were very well defined and separated, but they traded with each other. And so trade and economic activity was a key part of our culture. So I'll hand over to Sissy to speak a bit more about the empires on the continent.
0: Right. As many of you may or may not know, there are different types of kingdoms on the African continent. And we're defining this kingdom looking also at the examples that we've gotten from our Western counterparts and also the history thereof of um, how they uh, developed in terms of kingdoms and monarchies and so forth. So I think we can literally have um, a mirrored effect when we look at Africa as we know it in its kingdoms and the kingdoms of medieval and even industrial Europe going forward. These kingdoms were made out of certain families that grew and were skilled in certain areas and became leaders. And then uh, after a point in time became monarchies and they became the, the heads of societies. And I think we see that even continuing even in in the conversation we have now in modern day where we have a lot of huge a lot of families that have become successful and have reached um, the millionaire billionaire status and they're very respected in our communities in our societies and we see them as leaders because they contribute to philanthropy they contribute to conversations of trade they influence all these conversations and i think similarly so when you look at african kingdoms across the board these families grew and they were respected, they grew in wealth, they grew in trade, they showed their skill in different areas, and then they became the the clan leaders, the chief, the chiefdoms, and also the kings, as as we may know them. Uh, The biggest kingdom, as um, I first pointed out, that was well known globally is obviously the Egyptian that lasted quite a, a long while, it was prolific. They kept a lot of records of how they ran that kingdom. And if you just look at, if you just did a little bit of digging, you'll find that they ran that kingdom as you would look at, similar to what we would call now a family office. So it would would be the kingdom itself would be a family business and the family running it would be family office. If you look at it from a a perspective where you're trying to mirror it with what is happening now and how we see it. empires being built now on an economic scale as, as opposed to how it happened in the past so when you look at these kingdoms you're looking at the fact that when you had the kings and the chiefs in charge they had ways of running their kingdoms ensuring trade happened peacefully ensuring that they continued to provide for the people who were under them provide for their families And they had an orderly way of recording things and making sure things happened in a way that was for benefit for everyone. I think similarly, so we've seen the same format when you look at family businesses, how they operate, how they trade, they trade locally, they trade globally, they set up family offices when they reach a certain level of growth. And then they start also then getting involved in philanthropy. They start getting involved in in taking care of the community around them. And family offices, you know, they tend to look at the community around them before they go outside and look for further places to then invest in. And they look for further places to, to become part of. And I think we've seen this happening across the history of of Africa, where we've had despotic kingdoms, which uh, were, for example, in Rwanda, the Ankole, Busoga, and the kingdom of of Congo in the 16th century. We've had regal kingdoms, which where we have the king controls the external affairs directly. We've had incorporative kingdoms where we've had different kings coming together and working together to make sure that um, the livelihood of, of the people around them is happening so you have the lawsy the Lunda, the Luba, and then you have got the Aristotic Kingdoms and I think we all know the Aristotic Kingdoms from um, learning from our Western counterparts but you have those in across Southern Africa as well as then you have federations such as the uh, uh, Ashanti Union that was happening in Western Africa. All these were unions of different families that were coming together, that were coming together to do trade, that were coming together to, to create a livelihood. And we see the in in the modern times now as we come together to do trade as we come together to buy and sell to each other some of the greatest impacts that then happen to these kingdoms obviously as we know there's always good and there's bad When you saw the incoming of trade on the continent, you also saw the incoming of religion that then took away and gave a new identity to traditional religion. And some of these families started adopting different religions. You have the Islamic faith that came first after the traditional religion, that Islamic faith faith came through. It was easy for them to come through uh, on the land. They came through, especially in, in Northern Africa, going into East Africa. They didn't really go as far as Southern Africa, but you saw you see up to now the influence of the of Islam and the religion that it, it, it took hold and it's still very much present and it's it's part of um, the identity of a lot of Africans. You also have Christianity that came in with colonialists that also came in shielded by trade because initially when colonialists came, they came to trade because it was the easiest way to get into uh, the family businesses and start having conversations with them. Obviously, it then turned around and became something else. But then initially, it was very much about trading. How can we supply you, barter trade? And obviously, in the beginning with Africans, it was a trade, then it moves on, it moves on to currency and so forth. Whatever was suitable for trade during those times, the families became dynasties. They became multi-generational families. So you'll see that with all these empires, they didn't stop at the founder, we know the empires because they had multiple kings and the, the kingdoms ran for a while. That means they had ways of making sure that everybody was participating and everybody was kept in line. And so this is very, very important for African history because it shows that we've had this conversation of family business before. We've had the structures for it. We've had multi-generational wealth, but somehow there is a, there is, history there that was disturbed and the outlook and the differences of what family businesses look like now is very different how can we get it back on track and how can we get it to look more like who what we represent now and look more like who we are as from our experiences from history and taking the good and also looking at the bad and saying how bad was it really because this is a, a history that is no longer discussed or history that is not put front and center so i will let nike um go dig in a little deeper into some of the conversations that were happening in these kingdoms
1: yes i'll be speaking a bit on the topic of gender and pre-colonial africa there were, whilst we, we had a lot of heterogeneity across the continent, a large continent with so many tribes, there were some common themes across many tribes. And one theme was in a lot of societies and communities, they would try to establish equitable gender relations between women and men. And also, as Africa was quite sparsely populated and was underpopulated as well, motherhood and giving birth to imp- to children was seen as socially important. So women um, were highly respected throughout the history of the continent from both a biological and a social perspective. And so when we think about our history, our history seems to suggest that there was more equality than our, the narratives would seem to, to tell us. And um, across the continent, the Bantu group of people that spread across Central and Southern Africa, they, um, they had a lot of heterarchy, which is this gender equality in their communities, as well as um, many tribes, including theirs, had matrilineal social structures, meaning that um, unlike patriarchal structures where power, wealth is passed down the male lineage, it was passed down the female lineage. And similar to that, in a lot of African languages, you um, will notice that there was no distinction between male and female, his or hers, he or she, because it wasn't a a huge deal to Africans at the time. And what changed? Um, Slave trade severely challenged the social relations and threatened women's authority and status, particularly in West Africa, where slave trade was quite prevalent, um, as well as colonialism. So as the continent was beginning to be colonized by the French, the Brits, um, the Belgians, Portuguese, and what have you, um, they came with different worldviews. They came with different cultural views. And this changing gender dynamics was key to their control to the countries. and. That's the Western view of gender was then imported into our countries. Just for some examples, economically, particularly in, um, I know, um, in West Africa, women were key in controlling the agricultural sector. They traded, they were um, economically independent. The males were the warriors, the females were the, the earners. So when the colonialists came in and they imported a lot of sexist ideas, they revoked their land ownership, revoked their assets, and stopped them from being as economically empowered as they used to be. Women were also very active in their communities. They were key central um, players in their communities. Um, They were key politically. They held, we have in southwest Nigeria, for instance, we have key roles for females such as Iao Lodja, which means the head of the marketing association. And this is a tradition that's been passed on from generation to generation, and she's female. Um, Politically, they revolted and protested against um, unfair colonial practices in all parts of um, Nigeria, where I'm from. So the topic of gender is a complicated one. Um, back to my point on narratives, there's been a lot of lazy anthropology that would suggest that women in Africa were um, at a disadvantage to men. That's not necessarily the truth. and that when we look to our history, however, coming down to our present, and we see that some cultures, some tribes have very strong patriarchal cultures and others have very strong matriarchal cultures. And that's interesting to note because, Africa has the highest rate of female entrepreneurship today. Perhaps that could be due to our pre-colonial past and our cultures and what have you. So, um, I'll pass on to Sissy now to speak a bit about polygamy on the continent.
0: So, the topic of polygamy is very interesting on the African continent because, um, according to research, it is one Africa is one of the continents that has um, the highest phenomenon and uh that which uh, in terms of numbers when it comes to polygamy and it's it's a, it's a phenomenon associated with african people funny enough um the conversation around polygamy in itself has got a lot of hurts as well as a lot of um diverse perspective when it comes to it initially in the beginning in our history polygamy in itself was uh associated with people of a higher social status so Uh, a man had to be extremely rich to be able to have multiple wives and those with lower status would not have multiple wives however we have seen that um, as the narrative on the continent has changed polygamy has been made to seem like everybody can be polygamous and well everybody has gotten into polygamy when there they is the opportunity for it to happen more so it's embedded in tradition and it's also embedded in some religion so we have religions like islam where polygamy is permitted. We have our traditional way of living on the continent where polygamy was something that was smiled upon or something that was accepted. And obviously it was accepted in certain contexts. However, we've seen the modern day situation and the different um, advancements that have happened in the society, the morphing society, the changing society, and also... What we look at and regard as viable, as in, is it possible for a person to have multiple wives and multiple children and still have that generational transitioning happening within the family as well as in within family businesses? And we found that the majority of the time, as we've seen now, polygamy on the continent is more associated with poverty than it is associated with wealth. And that has become also a huge barrier when it comes to multi-generational transitioning because the conversation with polygamy itself was something that was accepted in the traditional conversation. When it became a legal conversation and they became a lot of legal parameters that come with marriage and so forth that came with common law, that came obviously with um, the different legal systems that spread across the continent. With the British, we take common law. But with other countries that, depending on the colonial power that took over them, they had different legislation and different laws that they abide by polygamy became a very complex conversation, more so when you are looking at inheritance and passing on inheritance from one generation to another. The conversation was no longer like the original conversation that was in the African context, but now became a legal conversation. And as we know it, when we start looking at capitalism in its true form, it is not always favorable for every member of the family and you have to define who is a member of the family, who is not a member of the family. And when it comes to inheritance, that has to be stated very clearly. And we found that it's it's becoming a challenge for family businesses on the continent. When this happens, and we're looking at the inheritance, we're looking at multi-generational transitions, we're looking at family business continuity. Who has the right to do what under what laws and how can we protect all members of a family and keep a family together? What happens when a family is fragmented? What happens when a family adheres to tradition? Um, The husband might decide to take on more wives. But however, his first wife might be Christian and might not align with that. What does the law say? What are the legalities? These are some of the things that are facing family businesses and really impacting them because they're a social conversation that also become an economic conversation and that can bring a, a family business to the ground no matter how big the family business is and how wealthy the family business is because it also goes into the relationships. What are the relationships between the different family members? And as we all know, it can be very complex when you have multiple spouses and you have multiple children from different spouses and the conversation within the household is not a a healthy conversation and you cannot say we can't blanket it and say oh polygamy is is negative and all experiences of polygamy has been negative but we can see it from experience and from seeing what has happened when it happens without it being defined without appreciating the fact where it comes from in in terms of our culture in terms of our history in terms of our understanding of what it is and how we can better merge it in a way that it doesn't impact family businesses in the way it has been impacting family businesses and how can we structure it in a way where we put in place things like family governance that bring the conversation to what is best for us as a group, as a family, what is the conversation going to get into the future as a group, as a family. And instead of taking it as a phenomenon, or a a bad thing, but making it something that we have conversations about and making it conversations that are very, very at the top of the list, especially when you're seeing it's prevalent, especially when you're seeing that it's going to impact generational transfer. And especially when you're seeing that the family business, all the work that has been done, all the trade, all the, the philanthropy, all the impact that has been happening from a family business can fall away simply because the conversation has been neglected. It's something that is part of our history, it's part of our tradition, it's part of our culture, but it's something that is really right now affecting our futures as we see them. So I'm gonna hand it over to Nike to speak about the history and what it suggests about our present.
1: Yes, um I think firstly just thinking through Um, the scramble for Africa where a lot of the European um, powers in Berlin scrambled and had their land grabs and decided amongst themselves which land areas they were to keep. So from their perspective, um, Africa was very much an economic... um, It was very much economically motivated. Um, Land grabbing was very much um, key to that. And I think that was a key tenet of... A lot of our um, societies, you'll find that a lot of Africans have a strong desire to own land or own property as a result of that. So we tend to see that family business owners, as they diversify, the first asset type they'll look to is real estate, as they feel some sense of security from that. And I would argue that it's to do with our, the legacy of our colonial mas- masters. Also, touching on what sissy just mentioned on polygamy and the fact that it's so strongly embedded in a lot of our cultures, but there had been some level of shame attached to it um, over the years when um, we had different religious influences come onto the continent. And because of that, a lot of the time founders that were poly polygamists found it very difficult to structure their businesses and wealth to cater to all family members or in a way that would result in a harmonious fashion. And we would argue that that's one of the key reasons why we've struggled to pass wealth and businesses across generations once founders pass away. Um, there have been various studies that show strong, stronger associations between polygamy and poverty on the continent. Well, I'm sure there's more to unpack on that conversation um in various other client polygamy is quite prevalent in the middle east and um the arab world yet we don't necessarily see that strong correlation um but there's something to be learned on polygamy and the way we run our businesses and have passed on our wealth from time to time and then following from the the piece i spoke on on gender that our pre-colonial history actually suggested that women were a lot more powerful than the narratives today would suggest on the continent. So what does that reveal about our present? Like I mentioned, in Africa, we have the highest rate of female entrepreneurship in the world. Um, Women in the past were at the helm of societies, were at the helm of communities, were at the helm of economies. I would argue that. We're still seeing traces of that in our societies, in our communal activities, in our um, trading as well. And as Sissy said, thinking of empires as the first family offices on the continent, unfortunately, a lot of the elements that made these empires successful and be able to pass on from generation to generation, we didn't necessarily learn from as business owners or as traders but in the in the kingdoms they, they they really practiced succession governance philanthropy and trading across borders so i'll pass on to sissy to tell us a bit more about what our history can teach us about our future
0: so as we look at the future of african family businesses What's really important for us to take in perspective is that it's an ongoing journey. We have a lot of history to unpack, a lot of experiences that are yet to be unpacked and have conversations around. When we're looking at family offices, we have always looked at the West as examples of family offices. We've always looked at the narrative coming from there as, as, as good examples or benchmarks for family offices. Yet we have got um, a rich resources from our own history. If we take a little bit longer and dig a little bit deeper to, to really understand what were the strengths, what made these kingdoms last so long and why their empires were so prolific because they operated in this space, they operated within Traditions, they operate in, within cultures, and also not disregarding the big transitions that have happened, the impactful events, the narratives that have choked us as well as liberated us and allowed us to create this new identity of us as Africans on the continent and then also what's really important when we look at the continent the continent is vast it's it's a huge continent with over 54 countries and within each country uh, as Nike said these countries were created borders from people who were taking pieces of pie it wasn't uh, borders created because of language of ethnicity or even of um, commonalities it was just other people making decisions and now as a continent we are starting to try to fix this we're starting to try to to create our own narrative to, to start dismantling some of the things that were put in place uh, we have um things like the africa free trade agreement that is starting to open up our borders starting to allow us to talk to each other we have organizations like aff who are trying to bridge those borders and bring together family businesses across the board and saying we once traded together we can trade it together again How do we make this happen? How do we make this effective? And how can we do it and keep it within the continent and create that wealth within the continent? We know there's a lot of struggles that we we face, but we have a lot of of richness within those struggles. We look at philanthropy for the longest time, the narrative of philanthropic continent has been around. Um, that we get donor aid from outside the continent. And we do get a lot of donor aid from outside the continent. We can't discredit that. Um, But all the same, we also have a lot of philanthropy that goes on in the continent that is undocumented. You have family businesses, From the smallest family businesses right up to the family offices that are contributing to the communities that they serve. We have individual families that may not even be family businesses that are contributing towards the communities that they serve. All this is largely undocumented, which is one of the big issues that we find on the continent. That's why research is one of the pillars of AFF. Without the data, you can't really justify. Without the data, you can't really present the change and the impact that is happening. But when we start doing that, we start realizing that we we do put a lot of money towards philanthropy individually, collectively as family businesses. We do it when we support our family members. We do it when we invest in business projects within the areas that we live in. One of the biggest things that African philanthropists do that we have seen uh, with family businesses is they really want to invest in the communities that surround them. They, they are focused on philanthropy that is not about dropping big figures, but more about impact. They will invest in businesses that will provide jobs. They'll invest in businesses that will change the communities. They will build schools. They will build clinics. These are things that are already happening on the continent, but then they're not as well documented because it's probably they're not, they're not bringing in big checks, but then it's every little that counts and it becomes more impactful when we start speaking about it, when we start encouraging it and when we start actually create collecting the data and seeing the difference one of the biggest things that we w- we w- can say that is not being done when philanthropy is done by family businesses on the continent is doing it with procedure or with a due process where they're thinking carefully about how to do it how to document it and seeing the impact of it a lot of their philanthropy is done on feeling and, and is done on wanting to 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 invest in the community but never thought of How many people have I truly invested in and what difference has that made and how can I make that difference stretch and how can I give in a way that makes that difference stretch? So these are some of the things that we are seeing as we navigate discussions of family businesses in spaces where we can do better. We can look at governance with more of a microscope within our families. As a continent, we have the honor culture that is very prevalent on the continent and for those who don't know the honor culture is usually we look up to our elders to be the guides we look up to our elders to be the final say in most decisions and the younger you are the harder it is to contribute to a lot of these decisions but we have seen that we have sent a lot of our children because of colonialism off the continent to get education in other spaces and we wanted them to come back and contribute to our family businesses but in doing that we've seen that some of the children don't come back because they're not motivated to come back. In doing that, we've seen that there's been a struggle in transitioning, whereas in the next gen and the founder gens haven't haven't always seen everything on the same page. They might be in the same book, but completely different chapters and completely different pages. And so it's important for us for the future of the continent to start having conversations that still uphold the cultures that we hold dear, but also are inclusive of the next gen because these next gen have next gens who also have next gens. We are the youngest continent in the world in terms of age And we have a lot to give. We have resources to give human, natural, as well as business and economic. It's important to engage the next gen because there are so many of them. There's so many ways they can contribute. There's so many ways they can uh, bring ideas to the forefront. It's also important uh, for the next gen to respect the elders and learn from them because they carry a lot of burden. They carry a lot of the experiences that we may not have had. They carry a lot of the history that we may not know of. And that history has shaped them. And in turn, it's a shape how they've raised us. It's a shape the conversations we have had. And it's very important as family businesses to start healing and start looking at the things that we as family businesses cannot always be aware of some prejudices we may not be aware of as we are navigating the business landscape. I think one of the critical things that we have done uh, with Niki is we've identified that they are essentially four different family business types on the continent. And this is just a broad overlook. It's not really specific. Um, You have the indigenous family businesses, which are the black owned family businesses, they really struggle with intergenerational transition. you find that some statistics have put it at 2% transitioning from one generation to another. There's a lot of history there. It comes from the fact that as indigenous people in Africa, there was a time where we were treated less than animals and we didn't have ownership. We weren't allowed to have economic empowerment. And so starting businesses from a mind frame where you were not allowed to have and all of a sudden you're having it comes with its own burdens. It comes with its own mistakes that have been made that are, that we're only now realizing and trying to rectify. There's also that, that weight that comes with the fact that all of a sudden we have to go into generational transition and teach our children different and, and get rid of old habits that have stopped us from becoming multi generational. And that goes with identifying what these habits are and being able to transcend these habits. The, Other family business, um, group on the continent are those that came from a colonial background. They were the, they had their ancestors who were the actual colonialists that actually came onto the continent. But they're now naturalized Africans. They have been born on the continent. But even so, they've had Uh, a bigger advantage. They've had the opportunities that some of the indigenous Africans have not had. And even their mindset, the mind frame, the, the way they were raised is completely different. How they see opportunities is completely different and deal with opportunities is completely different. And so even working with those family businesses in itself is a demographic that has got a lot that it can also pour into the other family businesses that we face on the continent. Then you have a third group of family businesses that are the the brought-ins. These are people that came through slavery. They are people that came through trade. You have them coming from mostly Asia. And you have them, they came through some to work uh, on sugar plantations and things like that. They're spread out across the continent. You find them, they are very tight-knit communities. They they have done business and they have been successful at multi-generational transitioning. And we need to learn from them, how have they been able to be um, successful? How have they been able to overcome some of the challenges they faced when they came into a space where they were just slaves that then managed to then create communities and then managed to become resident and naturalized as Africans? Then also there is the big discussions on family businesses that are coming from outside the continent. You have family businesses that have grown within the continents, their home continents, their home countries that are now coming on the continent. And they're realizing opportunities that are are available to them here. And they're choosing to come and reside on the continent they're also a demographic of family businesses on the con- uh, on the continent. They're African family businesses. They're naturalizing as African family businesses. And what do they add to the discussion of family businesses, multi-generational um, transitions, and building wealth on the continent? All these demographics are family businesses that are on the continent that really need to work together. They need to identify spaces in which they can contribute to each other. And at the end of the day, we all win – if we work towards the same vision, which is the economic sustenance of the African continent. And I think I will give it over to Nike to just wrap up for us. And if anyone has any questions, please feel free to put them in our comments.
1: Um, just to reiterate the importance of history. History is our shared story, is our shared narrative, an accumulation of our history um takes us to where we are today as individuals, as societies, as nations, as economies. And it's important to really understand the true the truth of our history as opposed to the narratives that are widely circulated. And really reflect on knowing our history, what can we learn about how we got to where we are today? And more importantly, what does our history have to teach us about the future? As Sissy mentioned, um, it appears that Um, We had one of the first family offices in the world, and we don't necessarily have to look off the continent to learn as to the best practice as to how to build generational wealth on the continent. We have examples um, from our history that we can learn from that show us the importance of governance, the importance of succession planning, the importance of regional trading and cooperation with other tribes, Um, the importance of women and how to actually navigate polygamy with building wealth. So I invite everyone to really dig deep and learn more about history. Um, It's extremely empowering and extremely informative. Just wondering if anyone has any questions, any comments?
0: I think we have a comment here from Moji Sola who said, well done, such a brilliant and insightful presentation. Thank you so much for that. We'll just invite everyone to join us for our next presentation, which will happen in the next 10 minutes. Um, We will be having a panel discussion that will be focused on the Islamic perspective on financing and philanthropy on the African continent. And we look forward to having you join us for that session. Please look out for that link for it and um, you can join us from there. And thank you also from um, Tukumbi um and for thank you for joining us all the way from germany so we will look forward to seeing you soon on our next session thank you